and welcome to The Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Matthew Sherry and Simon Clancy bringing you our next edition of our draft preview. A big look at the defensive players available in this draft. Plus, we're joined by the other Lamar Jackson, the cornerback out of Nebraska, looking to make a name for himself despite having a very famous name. We'll talk the Brandon Cooks trade as well and have some announcements all coming up here on The Gridiron Show. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, I've got Matthew Sherry, editor of Gridiron Magazine, and Simon Clancy, our draft guru, alongside me. Boys, how are we doing today? Very good. good. Well, how are you? Li- we've just talked cool. over each other. That's a great start. I mean, I mean, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit hungover, Will, which I blame you for for a wonderful evening on um, on house party. I wasn't like buying the drinks or anything. You were the one that kept. Popping off camera to go and pick up another what looked like maybe a rum and coke or a little whiskey and coke something like that. Thanks, thanks for the um, thanks for the invite, lads. Yeah, Simon. There was a very funny moment when we were chatting with uh, a good buddy of ours as well, and uh, you popped up as being in the house as it is on the thing, <laughs> and both both Sherry and I reached for the lock button so quickly that we actually locked and then unlocked the room. Brilliant. He, but it, didn't stop it, it is literally size five piece. So like, I've I've, I've done a house party with some old work friends who side doesn't know. Like every, I think I've done like four in the last three weeks, and Sai has popped into the into the chat and just stuck his tongue out on every single one. Fantastic, brilliant. brilliant. It happened with a. Uh, Sherry did it to us last night. There was like a group of five or six of my mates. But we were playing like an online game. So we weren't actually like chatting. We were playing the game and then like interacting about the game. So Sherry jumped in and there was just five or six really intense looking blokes staring at a screen and occasionally going, ah, for ah, Pete's sake, and getting really angry. It must have been so confusing. The one thing that's keeping me going in this uh, in this lockdown is essentially friends on house pie, which then appears as a notification on my phone, which then is an opportunity <laughs> for me to join the group for about two seconds, stick my tongue out or say something outrageous, and then drop straight out again. Whilst they're all like going, "What the hell's going on? Who is this?" The, guy? the, the opinion it. of my friends of your side is 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 not strong. I've got to tell you. Really? I mean, that's poor. That's this, poor. This... You better friend. <laughs> when you say pop into the group and say something outrageous is it like uh, did you see Bill O'Brien just paid a second round pick for a player with concussion history after giving up his top tier wide receiver <laughs> that's, that's a great seg- that's a great segue there Will by the way Will I, you, uh, I'm not even sure if you know this but about a week ago it appeared on my screen Will Gavin is in the house or where it is and I, I clicked on your name and you were just there working on your computer, and what must have been your phone was like laying on the floor. And I just went, Wah! and then you looked around and said, What happened? And I logged straight out of the room, and I don't think you ever registered what had happened. And it was literally just me. <laughs> and you were just sat there working on your laptop, like you were writing notes and suddenly waiting for other people to join. And then you suddenly looked really shocked, as if, like, Who? What? It was brilliant. One of, one of the best things of lockdown. Superb, absolutely superb. Right, we should get on to what we're actually here to do, chatting about some American football. Uh, Just a little update on what's going on uh, with us for the podcast over the coming weeks. So today we're doing a a big breakdown of the defence. We will talk about the Brandon Cooks trade as well. 
And coming up on the show, uh, Lamar Jackson, not that one, the Nebraska cornerback uh, going in this year's draft, talking a bit about the process of what it's been like to be in a draft where you've not been able to visit teams and where everything's going to be done digitally and kind of get a bit of an overview of how it's been working for him. Uh, next week, starting from Monday, we'll be putting out, uh, from 10 days out from the draft, putting out short episodes every day with Simon breaking down one prospect in some depth. Plus, we're going to have uh, a GM special next week, names to be confirmed. Uh, are they? I don't know. Have you already recorded them, Simon, or are we? Uh, no, we haven't recorded them yet, but I know who they are. <laughs> That's fine. And there's some cracking names in there. So uh, look out for that. And then as we build up to the draft itself, we'll do a final preview uh, plus our first round reaction. You'll hear our exclusive interview with Tua, which is in the current edition of the magazine. So loads of cracking stuff to come over the coming weeks. Sherry, do you want to tell them about... Um... Uh, yeah, I can do. I mean, we haven't, we're not announced it till, uh, till Tuesday, but we are going to be live. All right, uh, well, in which case... Uh... <laughs> no, we're, we're going to... We're gonna... And also, I should note too that we have opened up our digital archive on the website now so that literally anybody who creates an account, you don't have to buy anything, can can go into that. And, and there's every issue except for this season. So there's kind of 40-odd issues of Gridiron that are now available to read for free over the course of the... Well, it, it, it'll be permanent, I think. I think we'll just roll that out permanently. But obviously it was done with with the current situation in mind. So, so yeah, if people have wanted to give Gridiron a, a try and, and have a look at it. Well, now is your opportunity. You've kind of got a, a backlog of, of, of issues there to, to check out what we do. Matthew Sherry, man of the people. I'm letting you know now, I'm bleeping out what the big announcement was, and I'm just telling people there's a massive announcement coming on Tuesday and they're going to have to look out for it. I'm not, I'm not ruining your big, your big announcement. Come on, buddy. And the way it's going to be announced is cool as well, so it's worth, it's worth people not knowing. I agree. There we go. Right, let's talk Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks going to the Houston Texans. Brandon Cooks and a fourth-round pick in 2022, because the Rams don't really have any draft picks to give up at this point, uh, for a second-round pick from the Texans, meaning the Texans don't pick in the top four rounds of this year's draft. Um, I just... (laughs) Oh, no, they do. Sorry, they do, because they have the... They have the Cardinals pick, which they picked up for giving away the second round pick, which they picked up for giving away DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson, a second round pick. So I'm sorry, they do pick once in the top four rounds, but it's not going to be DeAndre Hopkins that they will be selecting at that point. So I don't know. Bill O'Brien, GM, another disaster for the Texans, it feels like. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just another Bill O'Brien calamity. I mean... You're literally trading a second, a second round pick for a guy who's had five concussions. He's on the books for 81 million. His production has fallen off so dramatically uh, in the last three quarters of a season. I mean, it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing because if you're a Texas fan, you don't have a draft. You don't have a uh, pick in the first two days of the draft until 2034, um, and it's the best wide receiver draft that most people can remember, certainly that I can remember, and yet you're dealing a second-round pick for a guy who might be one game and done if he gets another concussion. Because at some point, Brandon Cooks is going to say, yeah, 26 years old, quality of life is not going to be great in 10 years' time because I've already had five documented concussions just, you know, just to the NFL. So it's probably, you know, it's one of the worst decisions Bill O'Brien has made, which 
you know, you could put on a loop, frankly, because he makes a lot of really bad decisions. And frankly, if you take the if you take the draft picks out of it, Bill O'Brien traded one of the all-time great wide receivers in DeAndre Hopkins for for David Johnson, an injured running back, and Brandon Cooks, uh, a seriously concussed wide receiver. That's not a great trade. It, it still highlights the horrendous mismanagement from the Rams' perspective. Great that they've managed to get a second-round pick, and I, in fact, imagine Les Snead literally going, we're going to have to cut this guy. We've given him such a massive contract, we're just going to have to cut him. But do you know what? Before I do so, let's see what Bill O'Brien will give me, because I bet it's a lot. Um, <laughs> the, the, the fact is, is, <laughs> his contract... <laughs> Let's <laughs> give Billy a ring. His contract in 2018 was was 8.5 million dollars, and they could have franchised him last year, which there was some talk of doing going into the season. Would have been 16.8 million with the already existing concussion issues. That's probably what they should have done anyway. And I know that's cold, and I know that doesn't, you know, that's that's putting the power in the team's hands, and why a lot of people don't like things like the franchise tag. But instead, his new contract paid him 42 million dollars over the first two years, meaning that their dead cap from Cooks this season is still nearly $18 million. They're eating $38 million in dead cap money between Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks. When you add to that the $36 million cap hit on Jared Goff, the number one in the NFL right now, it means that they're spending $45 million of their, of their cap on players no longer on the team. That's 23% of the Rams cap being spent on non-Rams. It's absolutely ridiculous. Les Snead has done a tr- truly horrendous job. I mean, a truly horrendous job on contracts. But also, the, the Texans wide receiver core is now made up. They're, they're two starters are guys who simply cannot stay on the field in Will Fuller and, um, and Brandon Cooks. So good luck to Sean Watson. They're, well, they've got Will, Will Filler, Brandon Cooks, uh, Randall Cobb, and Kenny Stills. Like, 18 months or so ago, it would have been like, oh, dream team. Yeah. The, the, the other Good part is that. that what you said, Will, is right. I mean, a lot of the rumours were that the, the Rams, if they couldn't trade Cooks, would release him. So to give a second, I, I mean, it's just, it is just insane, isn't it? It's, it's like, it's, it's like a... It's like a sketch show at this stage. I just, I, I, none of it makes sense. None of their moves make sense. And and I, I don't I know. Bill you o- almost I- feel like he's he's all, he's on tilt now. You know, like he just, it's it's almost like he, he is just constantly chasing the next deal that'll that'll solve the last one and and digging the hole deeper. It's just absolutely astonishing. I mean, I. I I genuinely couldn't believe it last night when I when I read it, but in reality, we should believe it because this is everything that we've seen from from Bill O'Brien. But the interesting well, thing as well is that, I, and I think it goes back to something that ultimately the Texans' uh, ownership is on is on docket for this because uh, at some point you've got to say that you know we need a general manager and it patently isn't Bill O'Brien. They can't be so they can't be so um, inured to the noise that's happening around the the terrible decisions that he continues to make. Somebody in that organization above Bill O'Brien's head must be thinking, oh, that's another really bad decision. But somebody's got to at some point say, you know what, Bill, we're going to take this out of your hands, buddy, because it's not working. And so ultimately, they're to blame, frankly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're just kind of standing around and letting it happen as, as the whole franchise becomes the, the punch bag for, for, the, for the whole of NFL fandom and an understandable punch bag. I mean, I wouldn't say any of this is remotely unfair. 
before we um, before we crack on to the draft, I would I think we should put on record uh, and have Simon Clancy's brief views on the drunken gamble uh, slash bet that Matt Sherry made with me last night. I wonder whether he remembers or not. Absolutely, uh, don't remember it. If <laughs> if we have a job. if we have a full NFL season this season. And obviously that's a big if right now with everything happening in the world. But if we have a full NFL season this season, Matthew Sherry has agreed to pay £50 to a charity of my choosing if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't win the NFC South. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with that still. And I will pay if they do win it. So I just wanted to get it on record so other people could hear it because I wasn't sure Matt Sherry would remember it in his rum-addled state. Uh, and I'm pretty convinced that the Saints will still win that division. So there we yeah. go. I am too. I am too. I think you're safe there, Willie. You can, uh, you can spend that £50 on something nice for uh, some more wine or something for, for lockdown. I so mean, much it, wine. It, I've gone through so much wine. It's literally for charity, so he can, but also it'll be the charity of my choosing because they will win the division. <laughs> right. Um, let's cla- uh, crack on and talk. Clang on? Crack on and talk about maybe the other is uh, more suitable. Uh, the defensive side of the draft. We have got uh, a chat with Lamar Jackson, the Nebraska cornerback, coming up. But first and foremost, let's get Simon's views on the defensive side of the draft. Um, starting off with the kind of, the, you know, the players that people are getting really excited about, that top-end talent in the first round. I, I mean, everyone's obviously talking about and has been talking about Chase Young going at two overall. There's a couple of corners up there who there's a lot of hype about at the very top end. Are you, are you excited about this defensive talent coming out in 2020? Yeah, I think there's some really good players there, you know, and I think it starts. I mean, actually, for me, I've got to say that... Um, I find consistently across his career, I find Derek Brown of Auburn um, a more tantalising prospect than I do uh, Chase Young, I've got to say. You, know, you look at the, the consistent performance, the fact that he's double teamed and, and sometimes triple teamed on almost every play. He's going up against you know, outstanding interior offensive linemen in the SEC. I find his film more alluring um, than I do Chase Young's. I, I have to say that the, the concern with Brown is the fact that he's not an Aaron Donald type pass rusher. He is an interior pocket collapser, but he is not a guy that's going to get you 10 sacks. You know, but you're going to have a guy who plays alongside him who might end up on the verges of an all-pro team because he is just soaking up blocks and creating havoc for... for he's in Dama Kinsu, essentially. Yeah, he's exactly what I was about to say. So that's who he is, isn't it? Like, he yeah. is he is Sue. And, and you know... And Damigan Sue was just voted to the all-decade team. I think people forget how, how great a player he was, particularly in that early stretch in Detroit. And I actually think Chase Young is probably the third best defensive player in the draft, as good as he is. I don't think he's as good as Nick Bosa. I think there's a little bit of stiffness, a little bit of tightness sometimes that he possesses. I think Jeffrey Akuda, the quarterback, can step in and potentially be an all-pro. I mean, he is one of the best cornerbacks I've, I've looked at in a number of years. Um, and then, but behind that, I think at all three levels, there's you know, there's really good safeties, and, and you know, depending on what you want, you can go six, seven players deep at the safety position and get an immediate starter, whether that's Grant Delpit or Anton Winfield or or Carl Duger or Jeremy Chin, um, Ashton Davis at Cal cornerbacks. C.J. Henderson is is not far, you know, in terms of pure press coverage cornerback. C.J. Henderson is a really, really, really good player. You know, there's a lot of cornerbacks that I would go to bat for. 
interior and exterior defensive linemen. Linebackers, it's not, it's not an amazing class of linebackers. I think it's led by Isaiah Simmons and a, and a creative defensive coordinator will know what to do with him. But even down the list, you've got players like Marcus Bailey at Purdue, who tore an ACL when he first came to Purdue, then played 40 straight games at, at a ridiculously high level, and then tore his ACL again last season. He would be a first-round draft pick were it not for those injuries. You know, He does it all at linebacker. Uh, he covers, he tackles, he plays the run really well, he's intelligent, he's got a sort of a Luke Keekley sixth sense of what's happening on each play, but obviously the injury concerns are, are there. So I, I think there's a really good group, there's some really interesting players. So, you know, if you're looking for an edge rusher, there's guys there. If you're looking for, an, you know, a three technique, a zero technique, um, you know, the, there is all sorts of uh, flavours in this defensive draft. Interesting say as well. I think that, to me, the most intriguing of the top guys, I mean, I'd I'd get your take on this as well, but I would say there's there's probably four pure blue-chip blue defensive players in, in Young, Brown, Akuda and Simmons. Um, yeah. I don't know whether you think there's one. I would say they're a, a slight class above any of the others. I think it's fits important though here, isn't it? Particularly with Simmons. Mm. I mean, Simmons to me is, is in many ways a can't-miss, can't-lose prospect because he can do so many things that... To me, he will play at least one position at an extremely high level in the NFL. However, I could also see a scenario where he goes to the wrong coaching staff and he ends up being becoming a little bit jack of all trades, master of none. So it's it's a little bit, you know, with some of these guys as well, it's fit, isn't it? I mean, as it always is with the draft, but particularly somebody like him, where I think in some ways you could argue he's one of the safest picks because he's so versatile, but in others you could argue that he might end up being the biggest bust because if he goes to the wrong staff, he needs to be used right, doesn't he? I guess I'm saying. Yeah, and I think what you're looking for with Simmons, it, you know, and if, for people that haven't watched him, he's a guy, a Clemson linebacker, but he has played uh, you know, outside linebacker, uh, weak side, strong side, middle linebacker. He's played zone uh, cornerback. He's played nickel cornerback. He's actually played outside on the boundary. He's played strong and free safety, and he's rushed off the edge. You know, he can literally do it all. He's incredibly athletic, tall, long, rangy, um, you know, he's just a really, really good player. But I, I kind of feel like he's going to need to go to a team like, you know, that has a coaching staff like a Bill Belichick, like a Matt Patricia, like a Brian Flores, like a Joe Judge, somebody that, you know, has been known historically to be able to be creative with players and use them all over in terms of, you know, what you do with them, where they line up on every every single play. He, you know, he's got sort of Derwin James slash Miles Jack um, slash almost Yannick and Gakway kind of pass rush ability at, at, at times. You know, he's really speedy off the edge. He's got really long arms. He understands the nuance of pass rush. So I just think you're going to want to be creative with him because if you just make him a linebacker and leave him there, I, I, I just think you're going to, you're not going to get the best out of him ultimately. And I think he is one of these, he is one of these unique skill set players that can, um, can really make a difference for a defense. But you are going to have to, you know, you are going to have to use him in different ways to make the best of him. But I, I agree with you. I think there's four, there's those four players and then probably a drop off to, I think probably CJ Henderson and, and Javon Kinlaw of, of South Carolina and, and maybe one of the safeties. I mean, I'm still a big fan of Grant Delpit despite his injury played uh, junior season. I think he's a really good player. So, but there's some, there's some terrific talent there. Delbert's an interesting one. To me, upside-wise, he is the one player outside of that four that I think might actually be able to bridge that gap. Because, he, mm. I mean, it's it's one of those... If you watch him two years ago, I remember us talking about Delbert on the college pod, and we said, this guy is going to be a top-ten pick as a safety. And and he just had the, 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 the kind of season with a few injury issues and, and not played to the level previously at the wrong time. But... 
you know, if you flick on the film from a year previously, he looks every bit an elite top ten kind of guy, doesn't he? Yeah, really. The issues last year were 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 tackling, and we're down to the fact that he got a high ankle sprain early in the season, um, and just continued to tough it out, continued to play on it all season. It was really, you know, it was really. Um, slowing him down a little bit he still ended up winning the Thorpe award you know I, I think unfairly at the end because I think um I think actually the corner on his own team uh, Derek Stingley the, the true freshman should have won the Thorpe where he was by far the outstanding corner but a defensive back in in college football last season but but Delpit you know it, it wasn't like he turned up last year and was just a stiff he, he still played really well I mean he is a single high free safety with range to get outside to the perimeter He's instinctive, you know, he can, it will come up and, you know, he will knock you over. I mean, he missed a lot of tackles. I think he missed 17 tackles last season. Um, but a lot of that is kind of plant on the bad leg, tackle, you know, and you, when you're not able to plant, uh, you know, you've got a guy at 225, 230 pounds running at you and you need to set your legs, drop your hips, drop your knees. It's hard to do so when you can only stand pretty much on one leg and, you know, you've got shooting pains going through your body every time you, you know, you're jamming that ankle into the floor, which is what, you know, he was doing. He didn't miss a tackle um, in either of the college uh, football semifinals or into, in the national championship game as the ankle was getting better, sat out the combine. But to me, I think he's a guy that's going to, you know, he'll end up, he's healthy. You'll, you'll play him, he'll be a day one starter as a single high free safety. He, he's a very, very, very good blitzer. Um, and it would not surprise me at all if he was in the conversation for defensive player of the year, because I think statistically he'll end up getting interceptions, he'll end up getting sacks, and he'll end up just really, really playing well. And people will turn around and go, oh, why didn't we have Grant Delpit rated higher? He was always this good. It's one of those kind of obvious mistakes that we always talk about. Stop overlooking really good college football players. You know, somebody like Jeremy Chin of Southern Illinois has become the sort of, he's become really de rigueur in terms of, oh, this guy, his athletic profile is insane. He's going to, you know, he, he's a first round pick. He's this, and look, he is a good player. He is a good player, but don't overlook the guy that's been doing it at the very highest level in the biggest conference uh, and winning the biggest games year on year, which is what Grant Delpit is. And I think, like you say, he could jump up into that top four, top five yeah, of, of uh, best players, not rather than the top four, top five overall. Noticeable that all of these guys we're talking about are from, from big, big, you know, the elite, elite programs. And, and it does, it, Feels like this this year more than ever we're seeing that. Uh, just break down the two Ohio State guys for us, Young and Akuda. I think uh, I, these would fall into the category where we think. I mean, it's never always certain, but we think both of these are, are can't miss elite prospects. Who who any team is going to be lucky to have? It's it's always worth using the phrase "can't miss." It never makes you look silly at a later date, Sherry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, Trey Young is a kid that was talked about for a long time. Even, you know, when Nick Bosa was at Ohio State, there was always, you know, there's this kid, he's coming through, you know, he's a freshman, he's been turning up in uh, in practice and absolutely blowing the doors off. You know, he played he played pretty well in spot duty um, in uh, in his sophomore season. He's six foot five, he's about 265 pounds. Um, he ended up actually going, I think he was like 10th overall nationally in terms of... Um, in terms of his high school ranking, so you know he he has been he hasn't just come off the radar. He's been a kid that I certainly heard of when he was coming out of um, coming out of uh, Demeter in um, in Maryland. Very highly recruited. I think he chose Ohio State in the end over Alabama. He's just got that great. He's just got a great combination of speed off the snap, size, length, and that sort of athletic um, athletic ability. I don't think his pass rush repertoire is particularly refined i think there's certainly you know you look at somebody like bradley and i of utah 
Uh, you look at Caleb on Chase on of LSU. I think they are more refined as pass rushers. I don't think he's got, you know, his 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 money move is essentially, you know, around the outside, but um, you know, bend underneath the tackle and, and get to the quarterback. That's how he um, that's how he makes his money. I, I think what he's going to need to do is add, you know, the ball rush, the stab counter, those sorts of things, the push pull. Um, because I think, you know, he's a rare sort of physical specimen who can pressure the quarterback on almost every down. I think the concern for me was, you know, I didn't think he played particularly well towards the end of the season. It was almost a bit like he checked out. He was a pretty much a non-factor against against Clemson. Um, I also am not sold that he's, an, you know, an amazing edge setter. He's going to be going up against, you know, really good run blocking. You know, he's going to be going up against left tackles every uh, every single down, and I'm not sold that he's an amazing edge setter. Uh, you know, he he certainly has the physicality to get better. Um, he's a very very good player. I just um, I don't think he's in this. I don't think he's Nick Bosa. Uh, but you know, that's not a bad thing not to be uh, that level. Akuda um, comes from that kind of line of really good corners uh, at Ohio State that we've seen over the last few years. Denzel Ward, obviously. He plays with other really good corners as well. Damon Arnett and Sean Wade, who who I thought should have come out this year, would have come out this year. He probably would have been a first-round pick. Um, he's, you know, a Cuda 6'1", 205 pounds, ran a 4'4", 5", 4'4", maybe. He's just got everything that you want. I think, you know, the, the Ohio State coaches talk about the mental makeup. He's just, you know, he's totally switched on. He's a great leader. He's got great character. Uh, and in terms of the physicality that he brings, A, in press coverage, he can also play off man. Um, and he's just got great footwork. His hips, you know, you just watch him. You saw him at the combine, just the way that he was able to move. There was that clip of him just flipping his hips so naturally with no, um, he didn't slow down at all. There was no wasted motion at all. He's got great balance. He can click and close really well. And what I mean by that is, is if, you know, if he's playing off man and the ball is being thrown in front of him and he's backpedaling, his ability to put his foot in the ground and drive forward to the, towards the ball. Again, no wasted movement whatsoever. There's no tightness in his hips. Um, he very rarely gets beaten. He's a really good tackler. And he just understands positioning. He understands the, the nuance of how to position himself um, to defend a wide receiver, whether that's a you know a shifty wide receiver like a Tyree Kill or whether that's a big wide, big wide receiver like uh, Mike Evans. He, he's not going to be outmatched by, by any of these guys. I think, to me, he is a, he is a really can't-miss prospect. I would be incredibly surprised if Jeffrey Okuda is not a, a multiple all-pro player. I've got a, a, another observation, and then I'll, I'll pass it on to Will, and an overall one. This would be a great year to, to be running a 3-4, wouldn't it? There are a lot of guys who fit in that mould of being a little bit too big and too strong to play the edge in a 4-3, but would really be good kicking inside as 3-4 as linemen. Um, if you run that scheme as well, these guys are often underdrafted um, relative to talent because... Not many people run a 3-4 anymore, but it, it does feel like there are more of those guys this year than, than, than usual, because, I mean, we always identify those players as being quite rare, but there's there's maybe a few examples of, of players like that in this class where usually there wouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, I, what, I, what I find fascinating now as well, and what, what college football tends to breed a little bit more, is those kind of inside-outside or outside-inside guys, the guys that can, you know, are not just defensive tackles the entire time, the guys that can kick outside and play the edge and, and rush the passer in obvious passing situations or alternatively defensive ends who can reduce down inside um, and, and rush the passer from inside and can can just bring that quickness to work against a guard who's already been sort of beaten up by the 
you know, by a, a, you know, look, if you're if you're Auburn and you are playing, uh, you know, let's say you're playing Alabama, you you're the centre and you've been beaten up all day by Derek Brown, and then all of a sudden on third and seven, in comes Marlon Davidson into to pass rush against you, who's lighter, quicker, more agile. Um, you know, that's a that's a, a a really good thing that college football has embraced and obviously has been long embraced in the NFL. But I think you look at, you know, you look at Javon Kinlaw, he's a guy that can be inside, outside as a pass rusher in a 3-4. Ross Blacklock at TCU, you're going to want him rushing the passer from inside because that's what he does best, you know, on downs one and two. But, you know, you could kick him outside as a 3-4 defensive end. Um, Justin Madabuike at Texas a and is another guy. And then you look at the sort of the, the ends who have been 4-3 college ends, but who could end up being 3-4 guys. Hita, Gross Matos, of, of Penn State springs to mind. AJ Epinesa is another one at, at Iowa. Uh, I talked about Marlon Davis. Jordan Elliott at Missouri, I think, is a you know strong, long. He can be a three technique, but can kick outside. I think as a you know as a defensive end, if that's what you want to do in a thirty-four front. So yeah, there's there's lots of versatile players, um, and, and I think it's only good for the game that, that that that's happening because it just allows defensive coordinators to be a little bit more creative with what they do, and the and the rush. Uh, the rough formats that they can bring. What I also think it means, and, and Sherry makes that really valid point about the idea that there's, you know, uh, edge rusher is a position of such value and we normally talk about there being a real lack there. It's probably similar with cornerback. If you were looking at the keystones of defence, those are kind of the two that you look to get first and foremost. I do think that uh, that versatility and that, that it's not like with the wide receivers where we're talking about this idea that actually a bunch of guys might not get drafted where they deserve to be based on talent because people are going, well, I know I can get a good wide receiver in round three. So I'm going to, you know, pick up that edge rusher. I need pick up that tackle. I need whatever it might be. Actually, we're looking at a draft where I think we're just, just in general, when it comes to those defensive players, you, there's going to be a lot of opportunity to take best player available and know that, there's going to be a lot of guys that will that will fit into your scheme somehow. You'll be able to go, they're really talented and we will find a way to make it work. The other thing is as well, is obviously because the league's going to more and more and more three, four, five receiver sets, you know, cornerbacks are incredibly valuable. So you look at Akuda, obviously that's, you know, that is value at the third overall pick for, for a team like the Detroit Lions who just got rid of Darius Slay. I know they obviously, you know, um, picked up... Um, the Desmond Trufant um, in free agency or after he was released. But, you know, you're going to want a guy like Akuda to come in and be your cornerstone cornerback. But, you know, you go through that. Henderson, really good player, playing at the highest level in the SEC. Jeff Gladney at TCU, and absolutely you know, tough as nails, will not brand, back down from that kind of physical brand of coverage that he brings. Christian Fulton at LSU, you know, was the number one rated cornerback in the state of Louisiana in 2015, was suspended for two years for, for essentially cheating on a drugs test. He thought he was being tested for, for marijuana. He'd, he'd smoked weed two nights before. He was actually being tested for PED, so he swapped his urine with somebody else. They, they discovered it. He was suspended for two years, which was cut back to a year, came back and played, you know, outplayed Greedy Williams two years ago, played really well last season alongside Derek Stingley and, and Grant Delpit in that, on that back end. Uh, but even beyond that, you've got guys like Noah Igbehenehe of uh, of Auburn, a really, really interesting prospect. Damon Arnett, who I talked about, AJ Terrell, Jalen Johnson, who I keep hearing might go in the first round. Uh, Amik Robertson, a, a kind of a nickel corner that might, might go at the back end of the second day. You know, you, you're going to get starting cornerback talent at the back end of the second day, early third day, because the, the class is so good. And, it, and it's because... You know, more and more kids are, you know, leaving high school and going to college as wide receivers and being turned into cornerbacks because they just don't have enough 
cornerbacks that they can recruit because everybody wants to be a wide receiver. Everybody wants to catch touchdown passes and be a star. Coaches are turning really athletic kids to play corner. They're having three or four years nurturing their, their, their skill. And when they get to the NFL, all of a sudden there's, you know, you come into draft after draft after draft and you're picking up, you know, talented quarterbacks who can really help your team out either in, you know, nickel or dime sets. I mean, most, 70% of the league is played in nickel now. So, you know, guys are going to get on the field all the time. And I think it's a, it's a really key area in this draft. So I know you've mentioned it a little bit already, Simon, but what are those real positions of depth then? What, when we're getting into day two, day three, where are we still going to be looking at, at teams being able to pick up some, uh, some bargains with all those picks they've managed to get off the Houston Texans? <laughs> I, mean, I do think, like I said, I think defensive back, you know, you look at corner, like I just said, you know, there's a lot of good, a lot of good corner talent uh, in this draft. And again, safety as well, you know, not just Delpit, not just Antoine Winfield, Xavier McKinney, Jeremy Chin, Ashton Davis, um, Kyle Duggar, Terrell Burgess of Utah. There's, you know, there's some seriously good talent as you, as you walk on through down into the second and third days. And I just think, you know, it's really going to help the teams that have, the teams that just understand how the draft works, you know, and I know it's a cliche to keep saying, oh, Baltimore are really good at drafting. And, you know, this team is really good, but it, 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 in this in this weird year of, of how it's all going to play out, you know, no road trips to go and see kids, no, um, not really any pro days, not having any 30 visits or very few 30 visits, you know, only a couple of teams managed to sneak players in. Having a really good relationship with college coaches, with strength and conditioning coaches, those sorts of things are really going to be valuable. So for, for a team like the Ravens, who has a really great, um, scouting staff that's going to be perfect for a team like the Bengals it's going to be much more difficult the smallest considerably the smallest scouting staff in the NFL they're going to find things much more difficult in terms of how they set up I don't think linebacker is particularly you know there's a couple of linebackers who have had the off the field issues Marcus Bailey I talked about there's another kid Willie Gay who uh, at Mississippi State who has sort of first round talent um, he is a tremendous player um, incredibly fast but a number of off field issues he um he had a fight. He essentially punched his quarterback, Jack Garrett Schrader, in the face, broke the orbital bone in, in, in his face. He is a um, he's a ridiculously athletic player with huge, huge upside who really came on last year. Um, you know, I think, uh, but I think actually across all the, you know, certainly in the front, the front four on the back end, there's um, there's there's real depth that you can find starting players and contributing players in the later rounds. Uh, top stuff, Simon Clancy, Matthew Sherry, um, and, well, uh, Nick McGee from Gridiron has been uh, out there speaking to some draft prospects. And we're going to hear now from Nebraska cornerback Lamar Jackson, the man with a famous name, but also uh, a guy who can give us a little bit of an insight of what it's been like to, to be part of this 2020 draft with the COVID-19 crisis happening worldwide. Obviously, it's a pretty unique situation for draftees and for, and for teams this year. And so really get an idea of, of how he's been able to keep himself going in this situation and, and what the extra challenges that he's faced have been. Obviously, a bit of a weird time in the world right now uh, with what's going on like worldwide. Um, just want to know how that how has that affected your preparation for the draft? How's it been? Uh, I mean, for the most part, like what I'm telling myself mostly is just to remain humble, just remain grateful for what I do got and what the positive that is going on. 
like I pretty much just been using the pure fact that the draft is still on as motivation and as something to look forward to. Just as at least I know one thing, like free agency, that was that was a good sign just to show that like people were still getting paid, people were still getting traded, all the stuff. And then at the same time, with them keeping the draft the same date, that pretty much also gives me something to look forward to. So for the most part, when it comes to just preparation, I mean, I kind of just been acting as normal, you know what I'm saying? Just I, I'm, I'm working out every at least once a day, doing something, just making sure I'm, I'm staying active, making sure I'm just getting the sweat in, just for really for my immune system and really just for just for myself, just to make sure, because, you know, during this time there's a whole lot of unknown in the future and you don't really know what's going to happen. It's easy for you to really settle or to get complacent or really to just waste time. But at the end of the day, you got to remember that you're going, you're training to be in the NFL. So you really have, so basically, so when, I kind of just keep the mindset is that I'm going to be a professional, so I got to kind of handle this like a professional and pretty much just stay ready, stay on myself, just stay consistent, and just continue to just work. So when they when they do call and when I do figure out what's the next move, I'll be more than ready for it. Of course, this would usually kind of be a time where you're taking visits with, with teams and stuff. Um, have you done any of those kind of like remotely for, on the internet? Uh, yes, I actually just I I, I met with the um, the Bears and also the um, the Saints. I just met me, me and the Saints just did a uh, we just did like a conference call FaceTime thing over uh, over WebEx pretty much where I we got on there with the position coaches and we went over and install. Uh, they pretty much wanted to see what type of IQ I had if I knew what was going on besides just the corner position. So I pretty I feel like I I, shot, I did that pretty good. They they pretty they gave me good good feedback about that. They said I did a great job and stuff like that. So. Like I say, but even with that, you know, all those guys working from home, you see them all just in their living rooms or in their offices at their home. So it just goes to show, like, how serious this actually is. But at the end of the day, like I say, it's still just work to be done. So people still working. People still trying to figure out what they're going to do with this upcoming draft and all that good stuff. So that's a good sign. You kind of um, fit the mold of the long physical corner that's become very popular in the modern NFL. Are there any kind of players that you yes. model your game after in that regard? Uh, yeah, I look at guys like Jalen Ramsey, uh, AJ Boye, uh, just guys who I feel like just who's not this typical just five nine, five ten, five eleven corner. Just the guys who are six foot plus, guys with longer arms, like you say that, but also can move well and can play the and play the position at a higher level. So, I mean, if you ask me, I mean that's the way to go. I feel like if you if you got a guy out there that can go guard or versatile. Group of wideouts from the tall guys to the six five guys, you know. I mean, that's that's a win. So I feel like I'm blessed with the guy, the guy giving ability. And like I say, like Jalen Ramsey would have to be my one, like we like my top like person I look at and kind of try to just take some certain things from his game. Another thing that stood out, I watched some more of your tape today, and a lot of a lot of like the people like Deion Sanders say that they don't really care if cornerbacks can tackle. But you seem to do a really good job of, of getting low and wrapping up and hitting hitting guys hard. Is that something you place a lot of importance on? Uh, that was actually one of the things that, like me, like for example, you know, like as you go through the college and you develop, you start to see what you need to do and stuff like that and what needs to get better. So tackling was also one of the things that we emphasized early on. Uh, so uh, my coaches pretty much always just stay, just stay on me to tackle and just be consistent in tackling. And just I knew that was one of the things I had to continue to improve on. So as that went and as that uh, and as I progressed through the season, I just continue to make sure I always just kept the right mindset. Because when you come to tackling, I feel like it just that's majority mindset. So I just fixed my mind to be willing to tackle and to make sure I made majority of my tackle. So I feel like I, I showed that pretty good. Um- 
read a bit of talk about you potentially switching to safety. Is that something you'd be happy to do, or do you see yourself more as a, just a pure cornerback? Uh, I mean, if you actually I see myself as a pure corner, just because, like, at the end of the day, just because I'm tall and just because I'm a bigger guy, I feel like that's not something that you should hold against you or something that you should say, oh, if you should take it and then, like, you could have been there, like, four years, not been sure. At this size and at this size and everything like that, I got the ability to do exactly what I've been doing. You know what I'm saying? Which is playing corner and stuff like that, and guarding many, many different types of receivers. So, I mean, for the most, like I say, of course, I see myself as just a corner, just because that's exactly, that's what I know and that's what I played all my career. But like, of course, like if someone if someone did uh, want me to do play, play a little bit of both, because then again, like in this day in the league, you got to think majority of the top targets and majority of the guys making the plays is like tight end or something like that. So I know, for example, even if I do play corner, I wouldn't be – I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure teams would like to use my size and my ability to guard guys like Travis Kelsey and all those top-tier tight ends and stuff like that that previous – like that majority of safety struggle with. So, like I say, I'm just a – I got a lot of God-given ability, so I feel like I can go either way. I'm sure, I'm sure you've got this question a lot. Um, there's obviously already a pretty famous player with the same name as you in the league. Um have you had yeah. any contact with the other Lamar at any point? Uh, no, I haven't had any contact with him, but I know like we get tagged in a whole bunch of stuff on Twitter together and all that good stuff. So, <laughs> like I say, as I get in the league and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure he's probably wondering. Like, I mean, it's going to be cool when we, get to, when we do actually meet each other just because, like I say, we see each other getting tagged in the same post all the time. So just like I see his name, I'm pretty sure he sees mine. So it's one of them things where, like, yeah, once we do meet, it's going to be kind of one of them situations. Like, what up, bro? Well, uh, so I'm excited for that as well. So you don't see that as something that will make it more difficult for you to make a name for yourself. You're pretty confident your play when you get on the field will speak for itself. Uh, yeah. Then again, like you got to understand, like I play corner. You know, what I'm saying he's a quarterback. So yeah. like it's not like I ever be in competition with him or try to. Oh, I need to be as famous as the other Lamar Jackson. Like I think they like those that know me, my family, my friends, and everybody who get the chance to play with me. They're gonna know exactly who I am. And you know, like I say, I'm. I'm going to make I'm gonna create my legacy one way or another. But like I say, I'm, he scores touchdowns. He's the quarterback. So it might be hard for me to ever match his fame. Uh, if I've got it right, you grew up in, in Elk Grove in Sacramento. Is that correct? Yeah, Sacramento, California. Yeah. Um, yeah Eric, got, um, Eric Armstead of the 49ers obviously played in the Super Bowl. Is that, I grew up there too, although he went to a different high school, I understand. Um you familiar with Eric at all? Or have any contact with him? What, Eric Armstead? Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty much Eric, – Eric actually, he's just, he went to play in Grove, and I went to Franklin. So, we broke, we pretty much played in the same conference. I mean, he's a little older than me, so I never got the chance to play against him. But at the end of the day, like, he, like you say, that's a household name from back home, back from my city. So, like, him getting a big contract extension with the 49ers, that was big. Just seeing him get paid, I, I mean, I was happy for him, and I know his family, everybody like that is proud for him. He earned it. But for the most part, like I say, we know some of the same people, but we don't necessarily just talk often. Mm-hmm. Um, this is obviously it's quite a strong cornerback class with you guys like Akuda and CJ Henderson Christian Fulton um, but you last yeah. year you had a great year 12 PBUs and 3 interceptions if I've got it right do you feel you've been a little bit overlooked at all? oh yeah for sure but like I didn't like, I kind of take that into this consideration that the pure fact that like I went to Nebraska you know what I'm saying like for example Akuda went to Ohio State mm-hmm. CJ went to Florida you gotta think those places like that is pretty much staples for DBUs and great guys and first round talent to come in and out of their school. So they pretty much had pretty much had the red carpet rolled out for them. They pretty much just had to really be 
they really just have to be productive. And, you know, everything else is going to follow that just to, just due to the, the, the previous formula, you know, like Ohio State, Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, like you can, uh, Denzel Ward, like you can keep, you can keep listing. Like, so when certain guys come from your school and they kind of show, show what was what and they performed at the next level, of course, they're going to always go back to that school, always go back to that coach and go and try to go take the same type of guy, you know, and try to replicate the process. So, like I say, I feel like I'm just, regardless of, regardless of me feeling like I'm overlooked or anything like that, I just feel like I, I'm confident in what I got to offer. I'm confident in my ability. So either way, if, if it's not on the front end, I'm going to get it on the back end. And whoever think I'm overlooked now, they're going to, they ain't, I ain't going to give them an opportunity to overlook me once it comes down to actually playing and stuff like that in the NFL. So but I, I respect all those guys. All those guys are great talents. But like I say, I feel like I'll stay right up there with them all. If I've got this right, that your senior season came in the same year you became a father. Um, did that, prov- yes, did becoming a parent, provide any extra motivation? And just how has it changed you as a person like, on and off the field? Uh, you know, of course, like, I don't know if you have kids, but, like, when you have, the, when you have a child, it kind of, it's kind of like a difference. It, it's like, it hits different. Like, it's one of the things yeah. where, you know, like, it, it's, really, it's really one of the feelings that I can't really explain or really put into words. I just know, like, like, for example, when I first had him, like, it was a, it was a, it was a sense of happiness that I never really felt before. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it was anxiety, nervousness, you know what I'm saying? Just of having a child. But once you actually got here and stuff like that, and you seen, like, that was a piece of you, I mean, of course, just naturally, it just, it, it hit different. It hit, it hit home. It hit your heart. It hit your head. It made you mature really instantly. So, like I say, when it, when it comes to just having my child and, like, waiting for my senior year and stuff like that, I feel like I had just enough time. I had my son pretty much in the springtime of my senior season. So, like, I, I was able to have my baby, except the fact that I had a baby, put a plan in place, and then pretty much just execute it came to fall. So, like I say, I feel like the timing and everything, like, that was perfect. You know, like you say, if you had, it, it, it was more the motivation. It pretty much gave me a. It just it went from just playing football to you know getting a job literally just because the pure fact of we not working just to play football. No, we working for pretty much financial stability to be able to support my child now at this point rather than just myself. So it just got a little bit more real, and I kind of locked in a little bit more. So it pretty much was kind of perfect. That's uh, fantastic, Lamar. I've re- I really enjoyed talking to you, and just thank you for um, spending some spending some time with me. Um, I'll. I'll hit you up on Twitter when this when I publish something I'll I'll follow you and, and, and tag you in it of course. Um but again yeah just, just thank you for spending some of your day and um you enjoy the rest of your day, thank you. No, yeah, thank you, no problem. That was Lamar Jackson, Nebraska cornerback, speaking with Nick McGee. Uh, we have another edition of the Gridiron Show coming up next week, a, a GM special, which Simon Clancy is working on for us, uh, plus lots of other stuff. Big announcement coming on Tuesday, which Matthew Sherry will tell you about this uh, when we get to it. Lots of uh, lots of social media stuff happening at UK Gridiron on Instagram, at Gridiron on Twitter and via the website as well. Plus, as you were saying earlier, Matthew, all those back editions out there and available for people to check out. Uh, Simon, I know you were asked to on the WhatsApp group. I don't know if you actually have. Have you singled out any particular articles you you like of your own that you wanted people to check out? Uh, I didn't. I didn't, have, I didn't see that. <laughs> Fine. Um, I would say, just off the top of my head, uh, I really enjoyed, and I suppose it, it, it jives with this draft, I really enjoyed doing the LaVisca Chenault piece um, telling his backstory, uh, the sort of tragic story about his father and, and what happened. Um, crikey, there's so many I can't think. Um, Matthew would well, know. 
probably there's, there's, the, the new edition has loads of great stuff including that tour interview including building up to this year's draft uh, Simon Clancy's big board is in there as well uh, we're going to have the mini draft episodes coming out over the next couple of weeks uh, each day in the 10 days building up to the draft we're going to look at 10 prospects in some depth and we'll have the full episodes coming out as well plus the tour interview just before the draft uh, it's, um, it's a pretty packed couple of weeks coming up Matt Absolutely, yeah, and just stick with us. Tell your friends, get people listening to this podcast and, and reading all the magazines. And uh, yeah, it's uh, something positive for us all to look forward to in these increasingly ridiculous and frustrating times. Matthew, continue to enjoy that hangover with a small child running around your house. Simon, have a lovely weekend. We'll catch up again soon. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. This has been The Gridiron Show.